as human beings, we became addicted to certainty. And, you know, whether it was personal life, business, finance, banking, stock, you know, whether we were investing in stock, we were addicted to certainty. And uh, normal died and took with it certainty in 2020. Hello and welcome to The Future of Work, the podcast that looks at, believe it or not, the future of work. It's brought to you by Wonder for their blog Chaos and Rocket Fuel. Wonder are productivity and human behavior specialists whose goal is to help us humans remain relevant in an ever more technology-based workplace. And you can check them out at wonder.com. That's W-N-D-Y-R.com. I'm Doug Folks, and along with Wonder CEO Claire Haydar, we regularly meet up with industry experts and mavericks to get their take on work in the future. This episode, we spend an enlightening hour with a millennial trapped in a baby boomer body, Ira Wolf. Ira is president of Poised for the Future company, founder of Success Performance Solutions. He's a TEDx speaker and a global thought leader on the future of work and recruitment. He hosts the Geeks Geezers Googleization podcast, which was selected as one of the top 50 podcasts to listen to in 2021. So no pressure there from our side. In this session, we get Ira's take on what recruitment will look like in the next five years and the constraints we are putting ourselves under. Why he sees the world as VUCA, how work is fundamentally changing going forward, and how leaders need to find ways to help their people develop to change and to take a risk. Claire, over to you. Ira, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's just honestly so good to have you on the show with us. To kick us off, I'm gonna start with a pretty broad question. You've really become known as a thought leader in the area of recruitment and building people teams more broadly. There's a lot of other topics that you go into and I know that we're gonna unpack a lot of those today, but I want to start there. Can you share with us a little bit of the history and kind of like the set of events that set this this area of expertise in motion for you? First of all, thanks very much. A pleasure to be here. Love, love talking about these things. Uh, what set it in motion? Uh, you know, I, I think about that often. Uh, I've, I've always been fascinated by change. Uh, when I did my TED Talk, we talked about the, the focus of it was, in fact, when I started the TED Talk, it was that I've, I've danced with change my entire life, certainly not at the scale uh, that we have in the last year or last few years, um, but have, you know, shifted careers and, and certainly adjusted things that in the, in the, for the average person, I've always been at the, I won't say the cutting edge of change, but comfortable with some pretty dramatic changes. Uh, but, uh, you know, over the last few years, uh, maybe a few decades of my career, it was, you know, things were moving faster. People were more uncomfortable. There was definitely more uncertainty. You know, I just, again, I, I've been fascinated by it. And I went down the rabbit hole, chased it. And here we are, you know, in, in 2021. And after last year of a, a pandemic accelerating te technological disruption, to me, it's a fun place to be, but scary. So I, I even put in my LinkedIn profile, you know, I'm fascinated and terrified by change. Well, Ira, you've definitely come to the right place. We're a company that 
believes in it, works with it all the time. And so this is going to be a good conversation. Oh, absolutely. We, I would, and the good news is we're uncertain where it's going to go. Exactly. Yeah. Ira, I'm going to say uh, hello. Good evening. Good morning. I'm going to get, jump straight in with it. What's recruitment going to look like in 2030? Well, we don't know. I mean, as a, I, I don't put my, I, I say I'm a futurist and, and whatever that means. Uh, we're, we certainly have outlines. Uh, what, 20, what we thought 2030 was going to look like uh, happened in 2020. Uh, I, I actually gave a presentation in September of 2019, and it was entitled Workforce 2030. And many of the things that I spoke about, uh, which we anticipated would be in 2030, uh, happened overnight. And one of those was a, you know, a remote workforce where you know, close to 50% uh, of the people were working from home. And that's even evolved because we are talking about working remote, uh, but now it's, it's not even working from home, it's working from anywhere. Uh, so that was, you know, that was certainly uh, number one. And that has huge implications because what does the physical space in which we work look like? It opens up a whole new world of uh, potential uh, talent pool that, you know, people felt that people had to relocate to the area to go to work, to show up in a physical space. And now overnight, literally just about a year ago, we quickly learned that we don't need people to come to work every day. They don't have to commute an hour, two hours, or three hours on a daily basis. It's certainly been challenging. I can't say that every job can be done remote, but much of the work that we've accomplished in the past that many you know, management teams or, or many employees felt that you, you had to be in the same physical space to get work done, we quickly shattered that. The biggest change is that we're gonna have this distributed workforce. We're still evolving what that means. And also because we were doing it on the technology that we had, and you know, certainly people got very comfortable with Zoom and, and many of the other platforms that were out there. But can you imagine what that's gonna be in another 10 years? Part of that is virtual reality. I mean, right now, virtual reality is a little strange most people are still operating on 4G or, or slower technology. We're now, you know, 5G is certainly with us and that's expanding and we're moving towards 6G. With that, and that 6G will certainly be here by 2030. Uh, so are the bandwidth, the internet speeds, quantum computing, the challenges of streaming uh, through uh, virtual reality or augmented reality are, are, are gonna be changed. Envision rather than you, you know, us recording this remotely or doing it through a screen that we literally could feel we're in the same space. And what are the dynamics? How, how does that change? So um, I, I think the downstream from remote work, it impacts how people are going to be paid, what jobs are going to look like from a full-time, part-time to a contingent workforce. It's exciting. In early 2021, we were literally in the first stages of reimagining what what work will be but yeah i mean just a point on the the 6g i just, i read that you're going to be able to stream 8k video live through through 6g so you, as you say it's just going to change absolutely everything i mean and, and people don't understand what that is but to, to put that in perspective 
6G or, or you know, many people are, are still operating on 3G or, <laughs> you know, slower 4G. And just to put that in perspective, 5G is a thousand times faster than 3G. Yeah. Um, and it's a hundred times faster than 4G. We're, we're talking about these exponential leaps in, in speed. And to think, uh, you know, I, I was certainly around when the first dial-up happened. <laughs> and you used to hear that horrible noise. <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. I can still hear it in my head. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's terrifying Yeah, uh, when you hear that noise now, uh, but we persisted. I mean, we got through that and, and then, and then even with a fax machine and, you know, it was slow, it was uncomfortable and we persisted and, and we're literally a hundred thousand times faster than we were before. And now we're, we're, we're talking about multiples of a hundred and, and, and a thousand and 10,000 faster speeds. And that's not even based on quantum computing. So we, we don't know. I mean, they've anticipated quantum computing was going to be here by 2021, 22, 25. So we'll, we'll, we'll take a safe bet, a conservative bet. Most people are pretty comfortable saying we'll have some form of quantum computing by 2030. You're talking 100,000 times faster on the computer. We're not even talking about bandwidth. Mm-hmm. We're talking about how quickly information can process. And right now you can do a Google search and, you know, and in, in 0.2 second and, and, and literally a, a fifth of a second, you get a million results. That's going to be instantaneous, mm-hmm. uh, more instantaneous than, than it is even now. So yeah, it's incredible. Um, so we're, we're in for a very, very interesting decade. So I hope people are ready to buckle up. <laughs> I'm going to pull it back just a little bit and we're going to just talk about now. I know that you're a big fan, if you could say, of the concept of VUCA. It's an acronym that's been around for a little while. Can you just give me your version on it? Maybe just break it down and explain why you you reference it so much. I came across VUCA about 15 years ago. Um, and I don't, I don't re- recall where, but it, it originated in, in the 1980s. And uh, then it was adopted by the military after the Berlin Wall came down, just to give you some perspective. And what the U.S. military recognized is that the future world was not going to be run by sovereign nations, that wars would not be between the U.S. and Japan and Germany or Iran or Iraq, although we still have those to some degree. But even when we're fighting the war, sometimes it's factions within a country and then their affiliates. So you look at a terrorist organization, they may uh, have a hub, their leader may live in a, a particular country, but they're dispersed. Uh, there, there's no uh, defined country that we're fighting. Uh, and, and that's how the world is going to be much more distributed, uh, much more globalized. And with that, they recognized that we would be living in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, uh, which is VUCA. So it's volatile, Mm -hmm. uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. I don't know a better acronym to describe 2020 than VUCA. Yeah. It was volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, and it it left us with a lot of ambiguity. And that's going to continue. And, and, you know, people don't like that. I mean, a good friend of mine talks about that we 
as human beings, we became addicted to certainty. And, you know, whether it was personal life, business, finance, banking, stock, you know, whether we were investing in stock, we were addicted to certainty. And uh, normal died and took with it certainty in 2020. I'm going to move a little bit back into the specifics of recruitment and building people teams. And I want to go back to some of those, you know, earlier things that you shared, but also tying it back into this concept of VUCA. If we are going to have that exponential increase in speed, which is going to allow us to completely reimagine what virtual actually is. I mean, because if you look at just this interaction that we're having right now, there's there's actually a lot of impediments to it. You know, we're all three looking through screens because of bandwidth. We've had to put cameras off and it still feels very constrained. Like I don't feel as if I'm sharing a physical space with the two of you right now, even though we technically are in the cloud together. And all of those constraints are essentially going to go away with, you know, some of the things that you discussed, the speed, the, you know, virtual reality, everything like that. If we look at what people are thinking about today in terms of building people teams, are they really thinking through how exponentially different it can be? Or are you finding that the thinking is still very constrained to what we know today? What are some of the really constrained mistakes that people are making in their thinking today? We are definitely constrained. Uh, and I don't think anybody has any idea. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, the difference between digital and virtual. Most people don't, won't have any clue what we're talking about. So let's, let's bring it back down to them. And most people are looking through the lens of digital. And digital is, again, I mean, looking through a screen, we all have experienced that struggle with that interaction and that interface, and it's exhausting. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, Zoom fatigue is, is something very real uh, because it's interesting that we were able to go to work, let's say, you know, I'm not sure eight to five was, was actually a work day anymore, but that you, you went from eight to five, uh, you were sitting next to different people in your cubicles or offices. You sat next to people in meetings, you were there, but then all of a sudden, the only difference with the digital experience was we put a screen in, in front and we didn't share that, that same space, but people now seem to be exhausted watching people being on their best behavior all day long. And yet, 12 months ago, we had to be on our best behavior within a meeting. We had, we had to be, we had to be dressed. We couldn't have a shirt on with shorts, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we only, we only know what people wear from the, you know, from, from you know, the waist up, shoulders up or the, yeah, the waist up. <laughs> so it's, it's odd. I mean, people are struggling with this. We had to be on our best behavior eight, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, just a year ago. But, the technology is not comfortable and, you know, people, we, we do have troubles with bandwidth, the technology not, you know, all of a sudden overnight, everybody became their own IT person. And many people aren't, very, they know how to use a computer as long as it's working well. They know how to use their smartphone as long as somebody and put all the apps on and everything works well. But when something goes wrong, uh, you call it the IT department. 
uh, or, or support or, or family. And then all of a sudden it got very complicated. People are still looking through the lens of, of 2020 and the world that we're moving to is going to be incredibly, incredibly different. It's not just going to be conversing through a screen. There's going to be literally interaction in there. We're seeing it a little bit in some education. You know, certainly education has suffered throughout, you know, and it's still um, for many reasons. I mean, people don't, some people don't even have access to online learning. But the whole experience of even in learning, uh, whether it's in business or education, of watching a video or watching a screen, um, people, we, we, it's revolutionary. I mean, it is incredible what has evolved over the course of the year of how do you increase engagement? How do you increase participation? And that, that, that doesn't mean just people speaking up and getting comfortable in front of a camera. It literally means engaging, interacting, and forgetting that you're, we're not in the same space. Mm. Um, and so it's a mindset. I mean, it's, it's a mindset shift that we will have to undergo and, and everybody in the space will have to undergo that is going to grow and thrive and participate in, 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 in a distributed world in order to be distributed and effective. We're going to go from digital to virtual. Okay, so let's mine that one a little bit more there because there's, there's a lot in what you're saying there. If it's more than just the technology, if it's more than just the systems and the processes and there's a very big component that rests on the individual, which is that mindset piece, but also how I physically show up now, which is so different to walking into a building and sitting next to somebody. What would you say are the critical factors that managers specifically need to start working on with individuals in their teams to help them make that shift in how they think? So there's two different things going on in my head. One is, I'm going to go back to that physical space. Most people never thought of the physical requirement in work. I mean, and I'm not talking you have to lift 25 or 50 pounds. There are now jobs that are essential, that, but can be performed remote hmm. or, or virtual. And there are other jobs that are, are maybe essential, maybe not as essential, but have to be done on site in a physical space. And then we have the second component to that of not only being in the physical space, but how do we function effectively? How do we get our work done if we have to be six feet apart or we have to wear masks? And even after the, you know, after everyone's vaccinated in the pandemic, there's still going to be a level, not everybody's going to be vaccinated. We're going to have different variants and who knows you know, people are, are, are not predict, are predicting already that it's not going to be 100 years until the next pandemic. So there's always there's going to be, fortunately, out of this, a higher level of safety and precaution. I don't know any business that really looked at a job beyond part-time, full-time, and could someone work remote? Can somebody work remote one day a week? To all of a sudden, is the physical requirement of where work must be done or where it could be done most efficiently and effectively, the physical aspect is new. And mm -hmm. we're still figuring that out. Uh, even companies like IBM, you know, they have 350,000 employees 
And I remember the CHRO uh, in a meeting, she's since retired, but I remember I was on a, a, a panel and a discussion with her, maybe in March or early April. And they said, the one, somebody asked, what's the one thing that surprised you the most? And she said, as a leader in data analytics, people analytics, and really understanding the workforce, we had no idea who our essential workers were. And when we identified our essential workers, we, were, we never even considered which ones could work remote. I mean, an essential worker meant you had to show up yeah. in, in a physical space, and that all went away. So that's one aspect. So we have to, to think about that. The other aspect is how do we get people to be more comfortable with this uncertainty? So which is the manager side of it? You know, I do a lot of a ton of writing and thinking and resilience. You know, the word of the year in 2020 was resilience. Publications all said the word of the year was resilience. But resilience means bouncing back. It doesn't mean growing. It doesn't mean thriving. It means surviving. I mean, you bounce back. If you bounce back, you bounce back to its original state. So kind of the evolution we need to get people to move toward is not thinking about bouncing back, but how to bounce forward. And not only bouncing forward, but in doing so, you grow and you become stronger. And uh, Nassim Tlaib, uh, he wrote the book, The Black Swan, which you know, really people became very popular uh, in uh, 2008 with the, the uh, financial meltdown. He talks about something called anti-fragility. So if we imagine that a cup, you have, you have a, a porcelain cup and you drop it on the floor, it shatters. That's fragile. And we've built our organizations and, and this leads into where we're going with teams. We built our organizations to be efficient and squeeze out you know, mistakes, live on a just-in-time environment. We became incredibly efficient. The problem with that is we became organizations and people became so specialized, they became fragile that when there was a huge impact, a huge change, that they shattered. And that's what happened last year. Organization shattered, our society shattered, our infrastructure shattered, and career shattered. They just, many disappeared. The resilience means we bounce back. So instead of the, the shattering, it bounces off the floor and you leave out a sigh of relief that it didn't break. You know, that's happened to all of us, you know, a cup or a dish or something falls on the floor and remarkably, it bounced. So that means that there was some resilience, but it didn't necessarily mean it was better than it was before. You just were lucky. You got through it. Mm -hmm. And with a changing environment, with the world we live in, it changes so fast. By the time it bounces the second time and you pick it up, the world changed, the environment, the jobs, the markets, everything changed. So you're sort of out of place. It's like going back in a time machine within seconds that, yeah, I survived, I'm still in one piece, but the, everything appears different. So we need to learn how to grow and thrive. And in order to do that is what Talib talks about as being anti-fragile. And anti-fragility means with each impact, with each bounce, you've learned from it and you've grown. To, to do that requires courage because we need as individuals and managers need to help people through this. And some of the managers need help doing this. We need to learn to become courageous to take that first step. What do we need to do differently than we did 
a month ago, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. What do we need to do differently that got us to our, our, our place right now? Because doing the same thing over and over again in the future is just not going to work. So resilience is part of it. We're going to have setbacks. Uh, grit is another term that's thrown out there which is endurance, uh, which is perseverance. So in order to go from what I call the four stages of adaptability, the first stage is collapse. You, you just got crushed. You're curled up in a ball wondering what's gonna happen. The next stage is coping. And, and coping is what most people are currently doing. They're literally just coping. They're trying to get by. They're hoping that we go back to normal. We hope somebody externally fixes the problem and that there'll be you know some sense of nor uh, normalcy coming down the pike. But that's that doesn't mean we're any better than before. And a lot of people are at risk for being left behind. We need to help people grow and, as I said, grow and thrive. And in order to do that, we need to help people become better at dealing with ambiguity and uncertainty. We call that mental flexibility. Part of that is about having a growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Uh, Carol Dweck did a ton of work. And we can talk a little bit more about that if you'd like. But growth mindset is just the ability that we're going to make mistakes. We have to be more forgiving. Organizations that grow uh, on innovation have learned to allow people to make mistakes, to try new things, to have input, and, and to constantly be evolving versus feeling that you're a failure if you, you, know, if you get a B or if you get an A minus, you're a failure. And then finally, and this may be one of the biggest ones, is we have to unlearn. We've had accomplishments. You may have multiple degrees. You've had success. You've been the top you know, salesperson. You've, you have attained different titles and positions. You've received awards. You got there on the back of a lot of hard work and education and uh, the school hard, hard knocks. Some of the things we've done in the past some of the memories we had of the past, we're going to have to let go. That doesn't mean forget, but we're going to have to unlearn what we did, not only learn new things, but unlearn what we did. So managers are going to have to become adept at adapting. They're going to, and in order to help other people become adept at adapting, uh, we're going to have to help people take many steps, take that first step, get the courage to change, to try something new, to learn something new. And after the first step, they'll have a little bit more confidence to take a second step. And ultimately, the more steps you take, the more hopeful you become, the brighter the future. It doesn't look like the world's crashing down on you. It looks like it's, hey, there's some opportunity out there and I think I can do it. And so to me, the number one thing that managers need and leaders and organizations need to do is look at their people and figure out ways to get them more comfortable taking that first step at learning something new, unlearning, and taking a risk. Actually, it's quite funny because I was actually just going to quickly play devil's advocate and say, well, when it's, when it's over, is there a chance that it could go back to how it was because people want the comfort of knowing what used to work in the past? From what you said, I don't think so. <laughs> no, well, we don't have that control. We we yeah. don't we don't have control over the environment. We have we the only thing we control is how we respond to the environment. And if mm. you're going to respond the way you used to respond, um, that's probably more of you, you may be coping. Um, you know, 
maybe there's some room, a wiggle room in there to grow a little bit, but the faster things change and the more things evolve and it won't take much for the next whiff, the next, you know, going back to VUCA, the next volatile event, the, the next surprise that we have, whatever it might be, whether it's a virus uh, or whether it's, um, you know, an attack or whether it's politics, whatever it might, whether it's climate change, whatever it might be is changed our environment. And if the environment in which we live has changed, we need to respond differently. We just can't, and we can't react. Uh, one of the other problems with, with just grit and resilience, they are really reactions to a problem. They're not proactive. They're not anticipating it. Sure. And yeah. if you're getting, you know, if we were throwing a, a curveball in life once every 10 years or once every 20 years, we had time to respond and react and be resilient when every pitch is a curveball. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There, there is, it, it's, it's really tough. So we have to start anticipating how we're going to react, how we're going to respond rather than just waiting for something to happen and react. I think people really need to pause and take in what you said there, Ira, is that grit and resilience are just reactions to a problem. They're not proactive solution finding ways of being and that you know like so many people right now like grit and resilience are kind of like the buzzwords and you know managers are kind of seeing it as the latest hot thing and what you're essentially saying is that it's outdated already we've got to be somewhere else already they're comfortable um mm -hmm. i i have a con i'm building this continuum as i said of the stages of adaptability and it goes you know collapse coping growing and thriving grit and resilience are, are probably required throughout. I mean, you know, mm. whether, whether you're going from collapsing to coping or coping to growing or growing to thriving, you're gonna need some, you need perseverance. You, you need stamina to, to get through that. And each of those steps, there's gonna be some setback. So you do need grit and resilience to go from step to, from stage to stage or step to step. But in order to actually make it through the growing, in order to grow, to even get to growth, forget thriving, but just to grow even nominally. We need to have that, that ability, that mental flexibility. We have the, have the ability to be, uh, to deal with ambiguity and uncertainty. And in order to do that, we need to have this growth mindset because we have to be, we have to forgive ourselves for not being perfect. We have to forgive ourselves to that everything we do um, again, has risk. We can't be perfectionists anymore. I mean, that, that just doesn't exist. Yet we designed our lives in there. Uh, a good friend of mine explained this. We moved from a world of complicated to complex. And in doing so, we move from a world of just in time to just in case. And I think that pretty much sums it up that, you know, going back is we need to teach people how to live a life just in case. Yeah. Mm. And, and so going, going back to that, that mm. uh, Hemingway quote, you know, which I presented uh, a while back and it was, you know, when you go bankrupt, it starts slowly and then it, it occurs suddenly. You don't go bankrupt when the last bill comes in or whether you fall ill, 
you you were on the precipice before you, you were on the edge you lived paycheck to paycheck or you had minimal savings or you know when the kids grew up i'll start putting away retirement or when i graduate i'll start doing this and we, we always kick the can down the road a little bit and uh, unfortunately that's how uh, the majority of people tend to live but it's like all of a sudden, you know, was that medical, you know, is that a medical emergency or the roof caved in or the, the car, you know, whatever uh, created, you know, caused it. But that's how that's how we're going to have to live in the future. I mean, the Internet's been around for 60 years. It's only in the last few years that, you know, we most people have experienced going from you know, that dial up we talked about to 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G. But the spaces between the time spans between each of those is so much faster. Uh, You know, it took like 75 years to have 50 million people adopt electricity. And there was like 200 million people that were, I think, using TikTok within like 24 hours. The adoption rate of change is so much quicker than it was before. Again, we're going to have a lot of things that happen suddenly. Ira, I'd like to move the conversation towards the future of work. And specifically, I would call it Gen Z, you call it Gen Z. How should current business leaders be thinking about utilizing their, their outlook to life and their experience of the world to benefit their own businesses? It's a good question. And, and I think the first thing is, I, I wrote a book 2008 about the generations and Gen Z or uh, Gen Z, or, you know, they go by other names as well. Well, it wasn't even part of it. We weren't even concerned with them because they weren't in the Mm -hmm. workforce. So the the four generations at at that time were the traditionalists or veterans. They were born before uh, 1945 and then the baby boomers, you know, between 1946 and 1964 and then Gen X between 1966 or 1965 and 1980, and then millennials, uh, which were uh, between, you know, between 1990 and 96. And there was a whole lot written about them uh, and the differences, and certainly baby boomers uh, remember uh, JFK, uh, and the older generation remember Pearl Harbor, and you know, millennials remembered uh, the space or, or Gen X remember the space shuttle was, and, and these were like life changing events that occurred. The challenge with that is, is that it's a mindset. I mean, it's not just chronological. It wasn't that if you were a baby boomer, you're confused by technology and you're confused by change. I am an older baby boomer. I am on the upper edge of baby boom, but I think like a startup, I think like a millennial or, and maybe now as a Gen Z, where all my friends and colleagues are retiring, I'm constantly in startup mode. Again, they're literally approaching the winter of their lives and I'm looking towards spring. (laughs) Um, So when we talk, going back to your question, Gen Z and the younger millennials have grown up in a world that We've, they've always had technology. There's a video out there and it showed two young, two millennials. Uh, well, let's assume at the time they were somewhere between 18 and 22. And there was a teacher or a parent that came in and, and showed them a rotary phone and asked them to make a phone call. And they didn't know how to use it. 
And as baby boomers and, and even Gen Xers, everybody laughed at them and go, yeah, that's what's wrong with millennials. Look how stupid they are. They don't know how to use. Well, they never used it. It wasn't a piece of technology. And then I also found the clip that had a, the reverse was true, that they had a, you know, somebody young, a millennial had given a smartphone to her grandmother and you know, she looked at it and it was like, oh, is this a mirror? You know, how do I use this? And the fact is, is that younger millennials and Gen Z only know a world where everything was digital. They're very, very comfortable doing things remote. They're very comfortable using smartphones. They're very comfortable taking pictures and doing selfies and doing videos and, and being on, you know, using social media. They're comfortable doing that. But do they understand the mindset? Do they have the knowledge and wisdom of how to apply that? Some do, many don't. They just use it. Just as many baby boomers use a computer, but if anything goes wrong, they don't know, you know, they can't fix it. They don't, they can't change it. They're afraid they're gonna blow up the internet. It, it reminds me of the old days when a VCR came out and they used to say, you know, at that time, um, Gen X was the young kids. And you, you needed your kids to come over and stop the flashing lights on the VCR. Now ask a Gen Z what a VCR is and they'll have no idea. <laughs> the technology just doesn't, it doesn't exist. I mean, VCRs, everybody has them stacked up in their basement or in, in you know, garage sales. So part of it is they are comfortable with technology. That's the only world they lived in. But how they apply it is really a mindset. And you have some... Gen Z that are creative, curious, motivated, innovative, growth-oriented. They're excited about the future. But there are some young ones. Not, there's not 80 million Gen Z that is excited about the future. You have conservative Gen Z. You have conservative millennials. You have liberal, innovative, entrepreneurial baby boomers and traditionals of the oldest generation. Um, so it's a mindset. And I walked into a room one time and, and often happens if people, when I go on screen and versus saying what my age is, people said, Oh, we expected somebody much younger. And it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, the, my, my baby boomer body shows up. My mindset is one of much younger. And I think that's the really important part. We started to label the four generations. We started to make assumptions that we need to hire Gen Z and millennials because they're good with technology. They know how to use technology, but as far as applying it and making change for the good, understanding it, they're not all there. Um, sometimes it could be a 75 year old baby boomer who understands both the technology and how to use it better. They, maybe they're not experts at coding. Uh, maybe they're not experts at uh, using their thumbs to, to, on, on a smartphone to type quickly, but they have a greater understanding in different parts. So I, it's, the generations are helpful if you're thinking about mindset. They're dangerous if we just use them chronologically. Yeah, but I mean, in that respect, you don't have to know how stuff works. I mean, look at a car. I mean, most people, just about everyone drives their car, but they, they couldn't fix it. Certainly the modern cars today. But I was thinking more maybe around, yes, yeah, being used to that technology. So my son, for example, plays a lot of video games. That's where you're going to see the top uh, level of virtual reality at the moment. As you say, so as we move into that, they're going to be 
super at home in that type of environment. Yeah, that, and that's a great example. I mean, you know, we for a while we heard about what do we do about our kids uh, sitting and playing video games all day long? And until I told them that, uh, and I think they were one of the first schools that had them. It was Ohio State had a a graduate degree, had a de- not only a degree but a graduate degree in gaming. Uh, it was a, a degree in uh, a master's in gamification. And I said they graduated. I think one of their first classes they had ten people graduate, 10 students graduate. And the starting, the lowest starting salary for any of them was $250,000. Uh, and all of a sudden it changed it. it, it because, because it wasn't necessarily the development of the games, but how do we apply games? And that which goes back full circle to our conversation about how do you make digitization? How do we turn the screen into an interactive experience, an engaging, interactive, productive or, and or a learning experience and make it a game. And who knows better how to play the games than, you know, young people that games, but not every young person is a gamer. I still have the cover. It was a 1985 Newsweek magazine. There, there were three young kids sitting on a sofa in front of a TV, uh, you know, whether it was Atari or who, who knows what, maybe early Nintendo, they were playing. But it was a pretty cynical, sarcastic headline. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was about the lazy, no good for nothing, you know, young people, all they're going to do is sit in front of a TV and play games all day long. And then those people grew up and became the startups, (laughs) the the Silicon Valleys. Mm. And they changed what they tried to change what work would could be of what learning could be. Yet our bureaucracies didn't allow it. And we're paying the price because had we thought about how could we use gaming to improve our learning, our, our learning experiences, how can we use it for reskilling and upskilling? How can we do it to change the face of education? How can, you know, if you don't have an expert teacher in one environment, or let's say in healthcare, you didn't have an expert surgeon in one area or another, why couldn't we use the fundamentals of gamification to change how we deliver care, how we teach, how we manage, how we cope, how we collaborate, how we get things done. And bureaucracy said, no, we need people that are here. (laughs) We need people to show up and work. We need to have them in the same room. We need to watch them to make sure they're doing their job. And there's still some people saying that, even though we've lived through 2020, which is really scary. (laughs) I I got off the phone just earlier this morning and somebody said, it was about testing. I mean, that's what we do. That, that's the core part of my business. We do pre-employment and leadership testing. And he said, is there a way uh, to monitor the people taking it? And I said, well, one, it's illegal. So no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so no, you can't do that. But yeah, I, you know, part of that is what well, we need, may, we'll have to come in and have them see them. And I go, most people work remote and you may never, you, you may rarely physically be in the same space as your people. So if you're going to hire them to work remote, you know, get with it. I mean, you hire people who you can trust and there's ways to to screen trustworthiness and and be able to monitor that. Technology does not fix a broken process. It only makes it worse. So people sometimes try to use technology to patch up a broken system or broken process. Technology used in the proper way automates a good process or a good system. 
it makes it better. It makes it more engaging. It takes away some of the tedious, repetitive tasks from people, so allows people to be more, more productive. But when you purchase technology to fix a bad system, it only gets worse. Mm. Mm. Ira, we're drawing closer to the end of our time together, and we've got about five minutes left. I'd like to close off today's podcast with you by asking you two questions. And I want you to share with us the most immediate thought that comes to your brain for both of them. Okay. So that first instantaneous thought that comes, why should people take what you're saying seriously? Because there's a serious risk of being left behind. Love it. And then the one that I'm most fascinated about, I really want to hear your answer on this one is give us the data points that are currently keeping you awake at night. That's a good one. The data points that are keeping me awake. Well, in the U.S. <laughs> and maybe around the world, it's, it's probably the politics. We are so divided. And much of that division really traces back to the fear of everything we just talked about. The fear of the uncertainty the fear of loss. I'm going to lose my job because of somebody else. I'm going to lose my career. Uh, I don't know if I can retire. I don't know if what happens if I get sick. The fear um, has really been divisive um, across all socioeconomic lines, but if uh, you know, but especially among some minorities and and you know, middle class and lower class, not not lower class person, but lower economic class. So the divisions, you know, VUCA and everything that's happened has certainly exacerbated those divisions because people are afraid, they're scared, they're angry, they're upset, they're anxious. What keeps me up is how do we, which goes back to my first answer, how, what do we need to do to help ensure that humans are not left behind? The opposite of fear is hope. And that perhaps is one of the biggest mindsets, you know, which is what you said. This is you learn to live alongside and within complexity and uncertainty, which are perpetual when you have hope. Yeah, it's, it's well said. And, and that, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about the adaptability. We talked about, you know, the grit and resilience and mental flexibility. And frankly, those are the skills. Those are the tools you need in your toolbox. But the ultimate goal for growth and survive and, and survive thrival, thriving, not just surviving, uh, is going to be to have what do you need to do to have the courage to, to take the first step, to build the confidence to take the second step. And the more steps you take, the more hopeful you become because it's not so scary. Ira, thank you so much for having this conversation with us today. It's honestly been it's always so nice to be in conversation with somebody that's doing very similar research to us that's, you know, passionate about the same things that we are. It's always a conversation that we can learn from, which is great. Together is better. That's what Simon yeah. Sinek said, uh, and it's absolutely true. So I really appreciate the opportunity. I can't believe how fast that went. Uh, and I hope uh, everybody in, in enjoys the episode. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ira. Well, together certainly is better. Thanks there to Ira Wolf, a thought leader with a lot of sage advice to offer. 
We really hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, we look forward to inviting you back sometime soon. Just a reminder for more information about Wonder and the integration services that they supply, you can visit their website. That's WNDYR.com. And so, as always, from me, Doug, folks, and Chaos and Rocket Fuel, stay safe, and we'll see you soon.